Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's peanut butter cups. I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's peanut butter cups now at a store near you found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Hey, Ologites. What's up? It's me. It's Allie Ward. Here we are. It's finally time. It's the moment you've been waiting months for. A cephalopodcast. Oh, Okay, toothology comes from tooth, which is Greek for cuttlefish or squid. What's a cephalopod mean? Well, that comes from cephala, which means head, and pod, feet, because they essentially look like a giant long brain with a mop of feet glued on. So this week's episode is all about squids and squids and squids and octopuses and cuttlefish. They are adorable, shape-shifting, possibly alien, creepy, alive cartoons. I love them even more after recording this. I would hug every one of them if I could. But first, I want to say thank you and give you all an audio hug to everyone who's bought merch at ologiesmerch.com. There's pins and hats and all kinds of things and totes. And to all of the folks supporting for even 25 cents an episode on patreon.com slash ologies. That gets you some exclusive content. It gets my undying affection and also your questions go to the front of the line theologists. Thank you for supporting the show. Also, you can give back for no money, zero dollars, just a little bit of effort. When you rate and review and subscribe, that keeps ologies up in the iTunes chart so more people see it and say, what's this shit? And then listen to it. And then there are more of us out there to delight in primate butts and laughter science, etc. So I read each and every review every week. It's I creep on them so hard. They mean so much to me. Just the fact that I get to make this podcast and you guys listen is like, ah, Peach. CWS says, fantastic podcast. I recently had a dream that I was an Uber driver rolling around and listening to ologies. I stopped and Allie Ward got in my car. I got really embarrassed that her show was streaming while she was in the car, so I tried to slightly change it without her noticing. I just want to let Peach know that that wasn't a dream. What if we actually did that in another astral plane? Anyway, thanks for the reviews. Okay, back to squid. Who squid? They look like swimming dicks with parrot beaks and they are alive invisibility cloaks. But are they aliens? How do they change color? Can they kill you? What's a kraken? I very excitedly met with a squid scientist that I've been fawning over on Twitter for months after a post of hers about squid went viral. What happened was multiple jabronis tried to tell her that her squid were cuttlefish, and she's like, I'm a squid scientist. Uh, they're squid. So I've become a huge fangirl of her general knowledge and passion about squids so much that I took a train two hours from New York to Connecticut and back in one day just to spend an hour with her. She picked me up from the train station and told me I'd recognize her car because it had her Twitter handle and email 
plus the words ever wonder about squid ask me anything octopus too written on the back window her license plate reads simply squids it's 39 degrees i can see my breath i'm outside new haven connecticut first time in connecticut i'm looking for a squid car i'm so nervous i've been trying to be her friend so hardcore for months online what if she doesn't like me oh my gosh i think i see her this is so exciting <laughs> squids oh my gosh hi oh my gosh it's me hi i'm getting in your car do it oh my gosh your license plate really says squids it does we drove around New Haven a little. She's a PhD candidate and scientist at University of Connecticut and found a library basement to record in. And we talked about iridescent, bioluminescent sea creatures and crafty cuttlefish cross-dressing, octopus brains. They're shaped so weird. Um, again, alien DNA, weird dating stories, both human, our own, and cephalopod related, and what happens when you blindfold a cuttlefish. So please get ready to become obsessed with quite possibly the world's most charming and impassioned squid nerd, toothologist Sarah McAnulty. For some reason, every time I want to say your name, I want to say McNulty. Most people do, yeah. Why do I do that? I don't know. Phonetics. Irish phonetics make no sense. Okay. You are a toothologist? I'm a toothologist, yes. So glad you know that word. Yeah. T-E-U-thologist. Do people, do you ever say that? Do you ever drop that cash? Uh, No one knows what I'm talking about. Uh, One time someone asked me if I was a toothologist, and then again, I got very excited, but uh, it rarely comes up. Normally, I just say I'm a squid biologist. Okay. You're kind of boned by phonetics because it sounds like you're an orthodontist. Yeah, it does sound like you study teeth and squid don't even have teeth. So (laughs) uh, the poor things, they just have beaks. So uh, yeah, we're hosed there. So you are a squid scientist. Yes. Um, How long have you been into squid? So I have been interested in squid since I was a little kid, um, but I started actually working with cephalopods when I was in, right after my sophomore year of college, I uh, found out about this lab in Woods Hole in Massachusetts that was working on uh, cuttlefish camouflage, and I thought that was like so insane that you could have a career working on the coolest animal there is. So um, I like basically followed the scientist around to places that I knew he was giving talks. And I was like, hi, I'm Sarah. Uh, please <laughs> let me work for you. And he was like, you're too young. And I was like, please, though, I would really like to work for you. Sarah sent the lab a very passionate letter where she basically said, look, if you don't hire me this year, you're just going to hear from me next year and the year after that. And he was like, OK, crazy, uh, and gave me an internship. Sarah has worked with cephalopods ever since. Octopuses, octopi? More on that later in college, and now she works with little critters called bobtail squid, which are an evolutionary in-between octopuses and cuttlefish. Bobtail squid are little, they have a shorter, rounded mantle, and they can be these beautiful iridescent colors. They're also called dumpling squid, or stubby squid, because of their shape. And the general consensus is that they are the cutest things on planet Earth. So I'm sorry, sloths, you've been replaced. Super side note, if you look at a photo of a bobtail squid and simply cannot even, or you need to scream or punch yourself in the face, this is something that Yale researchers have dubbed cute aggression. One hypothesis is that the brain simply cannot deal with that much positive stimulation at once and turns some of it 
into the opposite, just some negative emotion, which for most people ends up being aggression or screaming or squealing or slapping themselves. So Google bobtail squid and then bury your face into a couch cushion and shriek with abandon. It's fine. It's okay. It'll be helpful. What's the timeline between octopus and squid and bobtail squid? I know that's a stupid, stupid question, but like, what did one come first and then another? What happened? So, okay, first we had like ammonites and those are those things that look like nautiluses, those like spiral shells. I think a common ancestor of those, we had bellumnites um, and those are basically squid with shells, like long, skinny oh. uh, cone shells. And then they brought the shells inside their body instead of outside their body. And then they, most of them lost the shells completely. Um, and some keep them inside. So there's like squid, like the kind of squid that you eat in calamari mm-hmm. still has something called a pen, which is like a clear bendy, um, version of a shell and, uh, cuttlefish have cuttle bones, which are these, uh, actually birds eat them for like calcium, but they have, they're like little buoyancy devices right in the back of the animal. Um, and then our bobtail squid have absolutely nothing at all. Um, but yeah, so octopuses diverged from squid and cuttlefish a long time ago. I don't remember exactly how many millions of years ago. Um, so they're off on their own branch with vampire squid, which are not squid either. They're more like octopuses than squid. Um, what is a vampire squid? Oh, vampire squid are dope. So vampire squid are these deep sea cephalopods, um, that look kind of like a Dumbo octopus, if you've seen those, but they're dark maroon red. Um, and at the each at the end of each of their arms, they have a little um, organ that has uh, bioluminescence. So Ooh. each of the tips of their arms are bioluminescent. And then they have these big spots on either side of their head that are bioluminescent to give the impression that they have huge eyes to make other animals think they're way bigger than they actually are. Okay, I just looked these things up. Oh boy. They're this deep crimson color and their arms are more webbed kind of like uh an a bloody umbrella with a head and their latin genus and species name is vampirotuthus infernalis and it translates to something that sounds like a title to a grindhouse film vampire squid from hell that is what their latin name means vampire squid from hell do they have knives and lengthy rap sheets of criminal offenses not so much and they're Nonviolent little animals that basically just eat dead shit that falls from <laughs> above because they live so deep that when things die above, it just sinks down. That's called marine snow. And they oh, have. Oh, God. Which is um, <laughs> quite a euphemism because it's disgusting. It's just like dead stuff. And they're just called vampire squids because they're maroon? They're, they look really scary. So, like, each okay. of their arms has these little spikes sticking off of it. So, they Ooh. look really intimidating. You would think I wouldn't want to run into one of those, but they're just eating dead stuff and floating around. <sighs> So it's not too bad. I think it's more, they got more bark than bite. There's, when we, when you talk about marine snow, there's poo in there too, right? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. Big time. (laughs) Okay. Why squid? I mean, obviously squid are the coolest, but like what, what illuminated you to how cool squid were? So when I was, uh, when I first realized that squid were awesome, I was about eight and I was watching this National uh, Geographic video that I got from the library. It was all about the ocean. Fish coral reefs, 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 not sure, dolphins, and what have you. But there was this segment about halfway through where they play Twilight Zone music, and then they introduced the cuttlefish, and I was just like, what (laughs) the fuck is that? You are entering another dimension, a watery world between time and space where strange creatures use bizarre powers, the alien zone. 
And I was like, I need to know more about that animal. And it, so in the video, it's doing this like passing cloud maneuver. So cuttlefish can change color as quickly as they think about it because each little color changing cell um, is controlled by neurons. So it's as if you think it, you can change, um, which is really cool. So they're called chromatophores. Um, and they're these little sacks of pigment, little circles, spheres of pigment that are surrounded by little cellular muscles that uh, can stretch the pigment out uh, like a pancake and then let it release and go back to a little teeny tiny beach ball. So they can turn these on in pattern. So I saw that and was like, this is bananas. Um, and yeah, so I had been into dinosaurs, but then I switched over to cephalopods <laughs> pretty much right then and there. And I check that video out all the time. Um, You're like, sorry, dinos. Sorry. Yeah. We don't even know what color you were, let alone if you could change like an LED screen. Yeah. Like that Nat Geo video, which Sarah posted on her Tumblr, squidscientistas.tumblr.com, shows cuttlefish flitting about doing what's called dynamic displays. So they're blinking and changing colors. There's like bands of black flashing over their body, like if clouds were overhead zooming past you and threw bands of shadow across you. So it looks like hypnotic and it confuses their prey. It's bananas. They're like living, squishy disco lights. I get why this video was life-changing. When you're obsessed with squid, I think that makes other people obsessed with your obsession with squid. That's, that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. When people are kind of obsessed with cephalopods, do you think it's their huge brains or their dexterity or their instant camouflage that people are drawn to? It's probably different for everybody, but I think one thing that's really drawing and interesting about cephalopods is that they're really complex animals that diverged so long ago from us that they've come up with all these really wacky, cool ways to get around the same problems that any other organism has to get around, but in a super different way. Like, you know, camouflage is the most crazy different one, but it's nuts. I mean, it's I totally can't even, you watch videos and you're like, are, okay. it's so fast. It's, it's crazy. Are we ever going to develop technology to like give us invisibility cloaks in case we see like someone we don't want to see at Costco or something. Yeah. One thing that is really, really hard to figure out is how cephalopods look at their environment and then pick what to do, because it's not as though they're saying, okay, I bet I could do a pretty good rendition of that rock. They take the whole like environment and then they kind of like say, okay, I bet this would fit. It's like looking for a new piece of furniture in a room, not to match what you've got, but to kind of go with the flow of the room. But there are scientists working on that um, in Woods Hole in that lab that I used to work for, understanding what cues they're using from the environment to pick what to look like. And getting back to that stretching the pigments out like a pancake and then mm -hmm. smooshing them like a beach ball, does that change the way that the light reflects on the pigment or how does that change the color? So in, okay, so we've got multiple layers of cephalopod skin. On the bottom base layer, for some cephalopods like cuttlefish, um, there's this really, really white uh, cell type called leucophores. And these cells never change color. It's just whatever color you shoot at them is the color that they give back to you. And it's like the purest white in the animal kingdom. So there are grants working to study this to um, make e-readers better um, so that the back of the page is the whitest version so your eyes have more pigment or more uh, contrast to pick up on words which is cool okay so that's that's base mm -hmm. and then above that we have iridophores and iridophores really are the ones that change color but they change color the slowest so they can go from like red to uh, blue purple sort of and those are changing hormonally so they change a lot slower um 
but they're the kind of sparkly iridescent cells. And then on top of those, those are where your chromatophores are. And chromatophores are one color all the time, but you have many different colors of chromatophores all in your kind of palette. So there are like brown ones and yellow ones and reddish ones. Um, so which they choose to turn on will determine the pattern that you see. Oh. So you're using all of these different uh, cell types to amalgamate a, a pattern. Is it like a like a TV screen or LED screen? Like, is it similar to that or... Uh, that would require that me to understand yeah. how LED screens work, <laughs> and I have no idea. I tried to check to see if this TV screen analogy was whack. I was like, maybe that was embarrassing to say. And then I went on a rabbit hole of LCD, liquid crystal display, backlit by LED, light-emitting diodes, but also jumbotrons, which is actually a trademark name, and Sony no longer makes them. But LED jumbotrons, if those were like chromatophores... And then I found a published paper called Dynamic Skin Patterns in Cephalopods, published last year, which said in the opening graph, quote, with parallels to the pixels on a television screen, cephalopod chromatophores, blah, 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 blah. So boom, I'm sticking with it. Don't at me. Scientists agree. Now, we have more important squid gossip to address. So I have two pieces of flim flam I need you to okay, debunk. Wonderful. Like, straight away. I had amazing uh, Dr. Chris Thacker on, ichthyologist, and she told me that giant squid live like five years. Is that true that squid have really short lifespans? Oh, yeah. So some squid leave, <clears throat> live even shorter lifespans than that. What? So our bobtail squid, we think, live about nine months in the wild. So really short. And then we think at the long end of things is like about five years. If they could live to 100 years, would they take over the world? Would we be screwed? Uh, one would have to assume, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the other flim flam I have to debunk is um, our octopus and squid possibly alien DNA, and that's why they're so cool. Let's talk about that one. Okay. So yeah, um, no, cephalopods are not aliens. So here, <laughs> here's what happened. So the octopus genome came out, and there's a lot of weird, cool stuff in that genome. And they were saying, okay, there's like all this weird stuff going on. Like, it's way, really different. It's like it's an alien, they said casually to a journalist. <laughs> and then journalist cephalopods are aliens and we're like oh shit no that's it's not what we're saying like alien like squid did not come from space so talk to me a little bit about your work with bacteria interactions i know you work with bobtail squid which are these yep. cute cute little guys mm -hmm. and you study bioluminescent bacteria that lives on their underside right so the bobtail squid has this like symbiosis with the bacterium, which right, is bioluminescent, and it's called Vibrio fischeri. So they have this organ that is appropriately called a light organ, and that's where the bacteria live. It's really cool, yeah. What a rig. It's, it's an evolutionary, like, I shouldn't use the word mindfuck, but uh, <laughs> it's evolutionarily really, really complex and cool. So bobtail squid have these two little crypts where they house one species, one single species of bioluminescent bacteria like a bunch of glowing purse chihuahuas. But the purse is your skin, and the chihuahuas help you live. Now, because it's just one species of bacteria that they have this relationship with, it's way easier to study and isolate than a microbiome with a bunch of different species. And in Sarah's lab, they're looking at the communication between the animal and the bacterium, and how the immune cells influence it, like how they recognize their so-called good bacteria. So remember the glycobiology episode with Michelle Decroix, where cells use carbohydrate flags to kind of check each other out? And we think it's sort of like 
when the immune cell and the bacterium first stick to each other, the immune cell is kind of like asking the bacterium a couple questions like, okay, when it comes to lipopolysaccharide, what do you have going on? Okay, it looks like that. Okay, what do you have going on for this protein over here? Okay, and, and let me look at this one other thing on your surface. And with this information combined, I can identify who you are. Talk to me a little bit about bobtail squid because sure. they do look like a hybrid between a squid and an octopus and a cuttlefish. Which is actually how I got to know and gently stalk you is I saw <laughs> I saw you tweeted this adorable photo of when you go check on your squids and like some of them are totally okay with the checkup and others pretend to be rocks. And right. there was like one bobtail squid that was covered herself in rocks and was like, nothing to see here. And and then some people tweeted back at you like, uh, pretty That's sure. Cuttlefish. Yeah, pretty sure it's cuttlefish. And everyone's yeah. like, a oh, fuck off. Right. She's... A squid scientist. Yeah. This happens to me like maybe once a week that someone tries to tell me that my bobtail squid is a cuttlefish. That particular day I had like 30 people tell me my bobtail squid <laughs> was a cuttlefish. But I've just like accepted that this is going to be part of my life. Like mm -hmm. having men tell me that my squid is not my squid. And to be fair, like so there are true squid and like I, I keep calling them calamari squid. But like I think that's where you encounter them the most. Like that these is. long skinny squid. So, you know, when I just say like, look at my squid doing something stupid. Some people will be like, well, actually, it's not a true squid. It's a, you should really be using the term bobtail squid. I'm like, yeah, I guess I should. When I have this many followers and this many people, like, getting all up in my business, I guess I should always use bobtail squid. And they're definitely not cuttlefish. They're, de they're like, just definitely not cuttlefish. So to be a cuttlefish, you need to have a cuttle bone. And the cuttle bone is that buoyant, um, aragonite is what it's made of. Uh, it's kind of chalky, shell, right? chalky thing. Yeah, and it helps them maintain neutral buoyancy so they don't have to actually put in effort um, staying up in the water, up in the water. Up in the water. Every time Sarah says water, I die. I die. I texted her afterwards to ask where she's from out of pure linguistic curiosity, and it's Philly. I love it so much. So this accent is called Philadelphia English. It's the proper name for it. And it's heavily influenced by immigrants from Northern Ireland and Scotland. So how you pronounce water is said to be like the defining characteristic of Philadelphia English. I find it so charming. So please, when you hear her say water, take a sip of your beverage, rejoice. It's so endearing. It's like sloth baby squid level cute. Okay, back to cuddle bones. And if you don't have that, you are not a cuttlefish. Um, that's basic, <laughs> like, cuttlefish 101. So if anyone's out there that's like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm a cuttlefish, like, check yourself. Like, check your back. Like, are you, Do you have stiff? Yeah. And, and, yeah, then you're a cuttlefish. That's probably okay. true. You're a cuttlefish. Once you have ascertained if you are a cuttlefish, how do you know if you're being a dick on the internet? Okay. Sarah has not only a lot of forgiveness and total compassion, but also kind of an easy test for this for anyone. Ask yourself before you correct someone if you're right. And if you are, proceed and say it in a way that's like not, hey, you're wrong. Just say like, I'm not sure, but I think you're wrong. And that goes over better. And also, if, if you get caught out for mansplaining, like, say sorry. Right. And also, if people apologize for mansplaining, like, let them go. Like, they apologize. Like, everybody has a douchey moment in their life. Things get so overblown so fast online. I know. And, and like, yeah, things can really snowball. So just try to be nice to everybody. They can marine snowball. They can marine snowball. <laughs> that would be the grossest snowball the you've grossest ever snowball seen. snowball fight ever. <laughs> um your position on eating cephalopods, what is it? Okay, so um, 
toothoid squid I eat. Um, those are like your calamar squid. Mm-hmm. And um, bobtail squid are so small that you'd have to, they would be like eating stuffed mushrooms. Like they're so little. Aww. And so I don't eat those partially because it would take a lot of work and partially because I've raised them from like eggs, like from day one. I'm like, a little weird. They're squid mom. Like I can't eat them. Um, I don't eat cuttlefish because I think they're so stinking cute that like I couldn't do it. And I've, I've raised those too. Um, and they're like clever and cute and friendly. And like when you feed them, they like know you and they'll normally like snuggle next to the seaweed. And then if someone that they know comes in that like they know will feed them, they'll like come out of the seaweed and like say, oh, hi, oh, I had this one cuttlefish. Um, it was like cuttlefish number three or whatever that anytime I came in the room, he wouldn't just like come out of his seaweed. He would like bob his head out of the water and it like was the cutest it was like the highlight of my day every day getting greeted by cuttlefish number three and when cuttlefish three got sick and died i like cried in the bathroom for 15 minutes i was so sad because he was just like so cute and so friendly and so i kind of think like having cuttlefish around is like having a dog around like they're wagging their tail and they're happy to see you and they're just like wow you're just the best and then octopuses are like the jerk cats that are like some of them are nice some of them are friendly but a lot of them are just like you know, I couldn't give a shit if you live or died. And really? that was, I've only worked with octopus bimaculoides, the two spot, the California two spot octopus. So um, maybe it's just them that are sometimes jerks. Right. So I had uh, eight of them uh, in college and I, not like in my dorm room, like in the lab. Um, <laughs> that would be a cool side project, but not uh, safe. So uh, yeah, when I would like feed them. So you feed them crabs or whatever you feed them. I fed them crabs and um, they stack their little crab shells in a little pile which is like really cute because they want to keep things neat and clean so i would like come in to clean their tank and sometimes they would like play with my hands or whatever that i gave them rubber duckies they might like pull the rubber ducky to the bottom of the tank let go some of them would like squirt me in the face every single day and i don't know if they were just like playing like hey girl let me squirt you in the face (laughs) you look a little dry but that's uncomfortable let me help you um and others would just cower in their tanks when i was around i was like i feed you I don't touch you. I don't hurt you. Like, why are you afraid of me? But maybe a human uh, out in California before they were caught was mean to them. Or maybe they just have good survival instincts. I don't know. Maybe they're plotting a takeover of the world. Maybe they're, they're plotting busy. a takeover. That's true. There are a lot of stories of octopuses really wreaking havoc in Aquaria. It didn't strike me until I was editing this. Wait, wait, what? Okay. The plural of aquarium is Aquaria? What? What? Okay, aquariums is still considered fine, but aquaria is more correct. Also, jumbotrons are typically located in sports stadia. Sit with that. Okay, back to how and why an octopus can GTFO your aquarium. Aquaria. You basically need to like make sure the tank is completely locked down and has no areas that they can escape Um that are way smaller than you think they can escape from because they can squeeze through anything the size of their beak and their beak is way smaller than their head. Um, so you got to watch out for that. How do their brains squish? So squid and octopus brains are bizarre. They So they're... Okay, so you've got a beak in the middle surrounded by arms and tentacles if you're a squid. So two tentacles and eight arms. Everybody's got eight arms. And... Um, then their digestive, like their esophagus, goes through their brain. Their brain is like what? donut shaped, what? Um, and goes around their esophagus. So things are just like squishing all the time. So some cephalopods you can't squish them. Like you can't squish a cuttlefish because it's cuttle 
bone is mm-hmm. big and and you can't squish it. Um, but octopuses can squish through all kinds of stuff. Uh, I don't know if it's like uncomfortable because like we can do things that are uncomfortable, like right. hard yoga positions that we can do. But like right, flying coach. Sure, flying coach. That's really unpleasant, but you can yeah. do it. You know, it'll get you from A to B, which is probably what the octopus <laughs> is trying to do. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They it doesn't hurt them long term, I guess. And why do some of the squid say? They're totally fine with the checkup. And why are others like, no, nothing to see? I think this is just like a personality thing. So um, just like there are cats that when people come to the house, they hide under the bed and others they are like, yeah, what up? Mm-hmm. My name's Rupert. Like, <laughs> please pet me. Like, I think some of them just are anxious little anchors and other of, of others of them are like, I've been here the whole time. You haven't killed me yet. Like, let's just do this, whatever. Um, and when I'm raising the squid, they see me every day. My hands are in their tanks every day. Like, they get used to the blue nail polish and whatever that comes along <laughs> with me. Um, although I think they're colorblind, so they probably don't know that my nail polish is blue. They're um, colorblind, but they have chromatophores? Yeah, how wacky well, is that? Uh, so uh, I don't know. I think octopus are colorblind, but I like wouldn't bet my life on that. I'm sure that cuttlefish are. So what? they can only see, like, tones of green, we think. Um which how the hell do they figure out what to do? We don't know. There was this proposed experiment where they they were thinking, okay, maybe there's like another way for them to see color that we aren't aware of. So we'll just blind them and see if they can uh, change color and match their surroundings. But the scientists didn't want to blind a little baby cuttlefish because that would make you really sad. So it never got done. Um, so the next time people are like, scientists are just cold hearted, they'll kill any, like, no, sometimes we feel so bad that we just won't do it uh, and won't get the answer. But uh, anyway, I digress. Um, you couldn't blindfold them and just be like, close so your eyes, close your eyes. We thought about doing that. Um, but as we mentioned, cephalopods are real squishy. So we were like, what would happen if we like took those goggles that you put on when people go tanning yeah. and just like stick them on a cuttlefish? So we like tried. They basically reached their arms back and like pull it off their face. <gasps> So if you think it's hard to, like, blindfold a dog, like, this is a squishy-headed dog that has opposable everything. So, like, they can just yoink stuff right out. In multiples of arms. Yeah, like eight of them. Side note, arms versus tentacles. It's a thing. Octopuses have eight arms, but squid and cuttlefish have eight arms plus two tentacles. The tentacles are the two longer, stretchy ones with the grippy clubs on the end of them. And the clubs have these circular, serrated rings, kind of like teeth, so they can whip out and catch stuff, which would be so handy if you were, like, sitting on a couch and your bag of Cheetos was across the room and you were like, Okay. If you wanted to make sensual love to someone but didn't want to walk over to them, tentacles, also helpful. And now, what about for sexing? I heard that an octopus will just use the end of an arm like a paddle, covered in sperms, and then be like, hey, I sent you something, and like send it swimming over to a lady. Like, use this use this, and make some babies. Yeah, so uh, their cephalopod sex is varied and wacky. So, yeah, let's just like talk about it, because there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> so, in, I don't even know where to begin. So, in deep sea squid, not all deep sea squid, but this one deep sea squid, whose genus and species name obviously is not uh, coming to me right now. Googled, and it's octopus. Octopatuthus deletron, for those taking notes. They see each other so rarely that when they see another squid, like, they don't care if it's male squid, they don't care if it's female squid. When the male squids see another squid, they will punch through the body cavity and just, like, stick sperm somewhere in there. What? So, like, if you think 
you've had a bad date. I'm sure you have. <laughs> but at least no one literally punched sperm through your abs. Like, no, and they don't even verify. They don't what? even verify. No, they're just like, oh, that could be a squid. And then it's like, oh, so there are just like male squid getting sperm stuck on the inside. Female squid getting sperm. It just, it just sounds like a terrible approach. But do they survive it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. So I would I would change myself into an invisibility cloak all the time. No wonder. I'd be like, yeah, there's no squid here. I got to get out of here. This is the pits. Yeah. The dating scene in the deep, deep sea is is no good. Uh, OK, let's talk about something better. Okay. Um, so we've got the giant Australian cuttlefish. And this is like my favorite cephalopod tail out there. So these cep- these uh, cuttlefish are like a meter long. They're huge oh. and beautiful. So the males are like, okay, if you can picture a cuttlefish, if you've never seen a cuttlefish before, picture a rugby ball with like a bed skirt around the outside and then like a little stupid face with eight arms. So, so you're there. We're there. Mm-hmm. And now the males have these two big arms that kind of are like flopping down on either side. They're really big and kind of billowy. Um, and they kind of look like someone put on a, a shirt that's way too big for them. And that's their skin. And they're purple and blue and beautiful and ruffly. Honestly, with their arms like right in front of their eyes, they look like heavily mustachioed, like Ron Swanson types or like a bristle-lipped cop from an old movie. And now the female of the species is much smaller and they tend to put on more maroon splotchy patterns. So they're easily distinguished from the males by the size and the color. Well, most males. And there are a lot of males in the breeding frenzies, which I propose, I think, they should call them cuddle parties. It's quite a battle because there's like 10 males to every one female out there. So yeah, it's a a tough, it's a tough uh, sausage party. It's a sausage fest. Yeah. Uh, So the big males will basically battle each other. They'll wrestle. um, And the winner of the wrestling match, which is like hilarious because like watching two like (laughs) (laughs) comforters battle is like pretty (laughs) funny. So there, yeah, there's, there's like, floofy tentacles everywhere (laughs) arms rather everywhere and um the winner gets access to the female for at least a bit of time um mates with her and then the females meanwhile mating with many males throughout this time period and storing the sperm from each male in these little pockets that she's got in her arms and she's like just keeping her rolodex of sperm ready to go and then when she actually um lays her eggs she gets to kind of pick who she liked and who she didn't like does she remember because i can't that sounds like uh, the season premiere of The Bachelor. Basically, I guess she does. Pocket. How yeah. does she do it? I don't know. They're, they're very organized. So, okay, that's already pretty cool. But then you have these little males, and they know they don't stand a cha- chance against the big males. If they get in a battle, they're going to lose. So they got to think of something else to do. So they will cross-dress, basically. <gasps> they take those two big billowy arms on the side, and they just tuck them, a la RuPaul's Drag Race, and... No. They do. And then they put on this, like, the modelly pattern of the female. And then they just, like, swim on over to the female. And they're like, hey, girl. And then when the male's like, I'm killing it. I got two ladies. This is the best day ever. Yo, Joe. And then while he goes to talk to his friend, the little male is like, P.S. I'm a dude. Mates with the female. (gasps) Leaves really fast so that he doesn't get his ass kicked by the big male. And then when the female goes to lay her eggs, so she's got her eggs like all back up in the mantle and she fertilizes them one by one and puts them in a little egg clutch on the bottom of the ocean. So um, 
when she goes to do that, like I said before, she can choose who she liked. And those males, the little males that cross-dress, they get a bigger proportion what? of the eggs than the big males. Um, Why? I guess they want to, like, maybe the females liked intelligence. Like, hey, oh that was pretty smart. God. So if we're ever <laughs> like, how did those cephalopods get so smart? It's like, well, here's one way. Um, they're choosing for it. So... It sounds like the like the worst rom-com plot ever. So they're able to to change their pattern to look like a lady. Yeah, yeah. So it's all like, so we talk oh about like, God. and I, I might get yelled at for this, but like we talk about uh, gender being obviously different from sex and mm-hmm. you, you only have gender when there's society, you know? Mm-hmm. So like we normally were only like, well, gender's only true in humans because only humans have society. And it's like, and yet, if you can cross-dress and put on different like, cultural patterns and signals of being a male or female like do cuttlefish kind of have gender like Mm -hmm. maybe i don't know i'm not uh a gender and sexuality scientist i'm a squid scientist but food for thought for us to all think about as we go about our day i mean it's kind of like how uh, us ladies like funny ugly guys you know i mean totally you're like you've got a good brain yeah i don't need a jawline amen That's so fascinating. I always like to ask, is there a movie about cephalopods that you hate or love? All right. 20,000 Leagues (laughs) Under the Sea has a giant squid. Um, There are certainly no movies about squid biologists that I'm aware of. Are there any sea creatures, like giant squid in any of the Pirates of the Caribbean? There is. The Kraken. Um, The Kraken is in one of them. But... (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about that because that kraken upsets me. Okay, so like we've said, uh, cephalopods have beaks. And this kraken, when it comes out, now, of course, like the kraken is a mythological creature. But the kraken that was the mythological creature we've shown is probably a giant squid. Mm -hmm. So I uh, denounce the fact that it's mythological. It's real. (laughs) Uh, So whatever. So let's like stick with what's real. And so the kraken in that movie has like a rings of teeth like a shark sort of but like there's no beak in there it's just rings of teeth and i'm like come on man you we have access to what those animals look like beaks are scary enough we don't need rings of teeth what that's horrifying what do the beaks look like and where did those come from from an evolutionary standpoint who i don't know where they came from from an evolutionary standpoint um but they look like sharp parrot beaks kind of they're like brown Parrot beaks. I should have brought them because I have a collection of squid beaks, um, which what? is something that we don't mention on the first date, <laughs> which uh, I'm going to tell you a story that I've never told on a podcast before. Yes. So once upon a time, I was going on a date with a dude whose name I shouldn't mention. We were hanging out and talking about raccoons and stuff, as, as you do on a first date. And, uh, and then we things were going pretty well. So we were back in my apartment. And then we like went in my room to j- hang out. And then he found a box <laughs> under my bed. It was like, what? It was like pretty close to that, to like the, he wasn't like deep under my okay. bed. It was like pretty close to the outside of my bed. And he was like, what's in the box? Thinking it would be something that like would be fun for him. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I knew that that box had like squid beaks in it. <laughs> Like squid beaks, octopus beaks, <laughs> cuddle bones, like <laughs> dried flowers and like snake skins and stuff. And I was like, oh, no, yeah, you don't want to go in there. Like that's it's maybe not the best idea. So he was like, oh, that means I should definitely go in there. So he opens it up and like, OK, maybe recently I had gotten some squid and maybe I was like still working on getting some of the squid chunks off of them. So I like had soaked them in this like... <laughs> 
ethanol so like i so he was like wait what is this and was like already like the look on his face went from like this is gonna be a great night to like (laughs) what the fuck did i get myself into and i was like oh well i mean those are just like um squid beaks and i also have some octopus and uh cuttlefish too and er and then and he he opened it he opened it and and then he just (laughs) closed the jar put it back in the box put the box under my bed Oh, walked out and never talked to me no. again. <laughs> oh, I was gonna. Ho- I was hoping no. you were gonna say that you're like engaged or something. Not even. After hanging out in a basement with this chick for one hour, I can very much say his loss. Are you ready for some rapid fire? I'm so ready for some rapid okay, fire. Okay, all right. But before we take questions from you, our beloved listeners, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors of the show. Sponsors? Why sponsors? You know what they do? They help us give money to different charities every week. So if you want to know where Ologies gives our money, you can go to AliWord.com and look for the tab Ologies Gives Back. There's like 150 different charities that we've given to already with more every single week. So if you need a place to go donate a little bit of money, but you're not sure where to go, those are all picked by ologists who work in those fields. And this ad break allows us to give a ton of money to them. So thanks for listening and thanks sponsors. What do you get for the mom who burst you into the world? I know, a candle. Are you like, no, that's not quite enough. How about memories that she'll love looking at every day? Aura frames? I love them. So they're a digital photo frame. They were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and by me. And Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected. You can add unlimited photos and videos, and you can invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees. There's no subscriptions. You can also react with cute emojis if you'd like, and you can show you love a photo. You can send congratulations or more. It's so wonderful that A, it's not a candle. And also, it's not sharing your photos on social media to look at. It's just there. You can share it with the people who you love. I have mentioned this so many times, but my parents have an aura that I got them. My dad loved that. I have gotten aura frames for friends, for family members, for family members of friends. So I'm a really big fan of them. I love what they do. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best selling frame. So that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use the code ologies at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I love these things. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, 
no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay your questions. Lily Massa wants to know, what's the deal with squid ink? What's the deal with squid ink? So squid, okay, yeah, this is this is a good question because I can go anywhere I want with it. So squid ink is, it's a pigment that they store in their ink sac and they primarily use it to get away from predators. So they have two options. They could either make this poofy cloud that they just like, like a smoke bomb, and then they disappear and confuse everybody. And potentially, uh, it tastes bad to some fish. So the inky, like, ah, you can't see me leave, is one tactic. Another approach is um, a, what's called a pseudomorph. So that's a uh, blob that they incorporate mucus into the... Uh, oh. But no, it's, it's great. It's okay. I've had it <laughs> all over my face before because I was working with a squid and it woke up in the middle of me trying to wake it up really violently and just inked me right in the face and it was just like dripping off my face and I was like man 
I deserved it. They'll shoot the pseudomorph where they were, jet away from where they are, leave the blob where they were. So the, the shark or the big fish is like, oh, there it is. And then attacks the blob and just gets a mouthful of mucusy oh. ink. How pissed would you be if you were eating a sandwich? You blink for a second. You put the sandwich in your mouth. It's an inky, inky blob of mucus. That would be a real bummer. How Stone pissed would you cold be? bummer. Your sandwich is like, womp, womp, and Sorry. it's hiding behind a bush. Yeah. That would oh, be that would pissed. be pissed. Pissed. Uh, oh, so that's the deal. Was, I didn't know that that's what they used it for. I thought they were they only produced it for pasta. That's true. <laughs> they also use it for pasta. Um, Al Martinez wants to know how many giant squids are there, and is there any truth to the old tales of giant squids attacking ships? Okay, no, that's that's the question I'm okay. answer. So uh, there are most likely a shit ton of giant squid because we find a lot of giant squid beaks in sperm whales. So we've like tried to back of the envelope calculate how many giant squid there are. And um, I don't have that exact number in my head, but they live pretty much everywhere in the deep ocean. Now, the reason there's this myth about them attacking ships is that... um, these animals are full of ammonia, which is uh, part of dealing with buoyancy, basically. And when they die, instead of sinking like other squid and cuttlefish and octopus do, um, they float. And so when they're starting to feel uh, like crap and start to die, they tend to just sort of like go near the top of the water. Yeah, we think there are a, a lot, a lot, a lot of giant squid. Ooh. Okay. Oh, and they get to the top of the, of the water when they're sick and ships, like maybe they'll just like touch the side of the ship because they're like, what... What year is it? Like, who are you? Like, are you going to help me? And then they're like, the the sailor's like, oh my God, it's attacking. Meanwhile, it's just like on its deathbed and feeling like garbage. So it's not going to hurt you. Tell my family I love them. Exactly. Exactly. John Worcester wants to know, how intelligent is an octopus? Would its intelligence level compare it to like a four or five-year-old child? Or is it more intelligent than that? The short answer is like, Lord knows how smart any given animal is. You really, it's like a harder question than you think it is. So when you are assessing how smart an animal is uh, and you're not like an animal uh, intelligence scientist, you might think like, okay, you're kind of judging the animal based on how you judge human intelligence. How smart is an octopus compared to like an age of human? I don't know. Maybe like a dog. Hmm. I don't know. I guess it also depends on how dumb your children are. That's very true. I've never had a child or watched one develop. Uh, I mean, understand, so. as a four-year-old, I got my whole arm stuck in an escalator, and they had to That's invent true. the emergency stop button <laughs> for me and another kid whose foot got eaten off. So it really depends on, yeah, who's That definitely kid wouldn't happen to an octopus. <laughs> I know. So <laughs> even if it did, it's like I have seven extra arms. I'm just going to so. eat this off. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Krista Avampato says, are squid likely to be more impacted by climate change than other sea animals, or they... Or will they be one of the species that's best able to adapt? So squid are doing really well right now. um, But we think that's more to do with the fact that we don't overfish them. So we have overfished the hell out of most fish populations. We started with the biggest fish and then we've been working our way down ever since. Mm -hmm. So the really small prey fish are doing the best. Um, The one thing that... uh, cephalopods generally have to worry about with climate change is ocean acidification. So um, basically, when the ocean is acidic, it's harder to build a shell. So that's going to be a problem for all crustaceans and clams, bivalves, whatever. Now, 
when they're looking at populations in the last like five, 10 years, all of the cephalopods that I know of are doing really well, but we don't have really good records of fisheries information for squid because back then you wouldn't need to eat a squid because you had cod coming out your ears. So we think they're doing all right. We don't think they're endangered. The other nice thing is that they have really short lifespans for the purposes of of adapting quickly. That's great. Mm. When you produce a lot of your species, um, it leads it gives you more opportunity to adapt quickly and evolve quickly um, compared to an animal that, you know, needs to live 50 years before it reproduces. Right. Um, so they have more iterations to kind to of play with. And, and yeah, exactly. See. Oh, that's interesting. I had never thought about yeah. that. Okay. Jennifer Overby wants to know, are squids social creatures? I think we just talked about how they were loners. Um, she said, I've only ever seen them alone, but they must get busy every once in a while. So with how intelligent they are, do they have a complicated social structure? So it depends on the, on the species. So some... Like sepia toothus, which are these like uh, really, really beautiful squid that have the bed skirt that goes all the way around, the fin that goes all the way around. Um, They will generally travel in groups of like, I don't know, three to seven-ish. And so they're always hanging out together. Um, Humboldt squid travel in huge packs. Now, Humboldt squid are up there with some of the coolest cephalopods. They're like human-sized lengthwise they're like thick and big and scary and they've they're like some people have said that they kill people swimming um which i wouldn't put past them but i don't know um if there are like recorded deaths from humboldt squid um but i would believe it humboldt squid fyi also called red devils and they're known to be very intelligent very curious and aggressive so those beaks they have that look like bird beaks have more bite force than an African lion, which is a fact I did not need to know. And I kind of wish I didn't. I'm sorry. So they live off Baja, California, and uh, I think in 2010 they were coming up through, like, up to San Francisco. Um, They're huge traveling packs. They flash red and white um, to communicate with each other, we think. And they will pack hunt, which is so scary. Like, as if one Humboldt squid isn't scary enough. Like, I... People who, who will sometimes dive with them and literally wear, like, chain mail oh because God. they don't want to get bit. Could they eat a human? Sure. Why not? Yeah. Wow. And the, the bummer about getting eaten by a squid is that they don't care if you're living or dead while they're eating you. They will, like... They have such so many arms to grab onto you that they'll grab on and, like, start chomping away while you're still alive. Oh, boy. Oh, God. So, um... It seems big squid like, are very scary. It seems like with a Humboldt squid, if they're the size of a human, it would just be, like, getting into a big skin sleeping bag. Like, you would just fill their whole guts. Yeah, so they might, like, eat part of you and then drop you. Oh, cool. Yeah. To share the wealth. Yeah, absolutely. Like, anyone want some of this? Yeah, well, uh, you're gonna become marine snow. <laughs> Mike Ramsey wants to know, every once in a while, a strange creature washes up on a beach somewhere and may often be described as squid-like, but of unknown classification. Is anyone maintaining a database of unknown sea creatures? If there's no immediate obvious classification and no easy way to find living specimens, does anyone research these things? So I think a lot of times when things wash up that could be cephalopods, uh, but that we don't really know, like cephalopods degrade really fast. They don't Mm. have... Um, they're, they're like, okay, for, so for example, if one of my squid dies, um, in the tank, the next morning, it'll already start to come apart. If I leave it till the afternoon, like it's body parts will start falling off. And this is like, this is like just in like a tank where there's not a lot of like wave action. By the next morning, if I pick it up, it will fall through my fingers liquid. Mm -hmm. So like 
identifying positively a lot of this stuff is really hard to do. So that's probably why they're saying like unidentified. Yeah, it was a cephalopod, but like, what was it? Lord knows. Brian Edge wants to know how threatened are the nautiloid populations? They've always been one of my favorite cephalopods. Great choice. Um, the nautiloids are in bad shape right now because we keep collecting them for their shells. Um, mm. Their shells are gorgeous. And if you cut them in half, you see like these different chambers that the animal used to live in. But they reproduce pretty slowly um, and they don't produce as much as many offspring per nautilus as um, the squid do. So um, but go online and look up uh, the nautilus breeding program at uh the Monterey Bay Aquarium because you have these like little baby Nautilus oh. videos and they're so cute. Like cuttlefish look like just tiny, fully formed cuttlefish, <laughs> which are so cute that it hurts a little bit. And Nautilus is the same way. They come out pretty big um, and they just look like fully formed Nautilus, but small. Um, with a shell? With a shell. Oh, little baby. It's really just so oh. cute. But yeah, so don't buy Nautilus shells because you're depleting the population and we got to oh. cool it. Yeah, let's 3D print some. Yeah, sure. Are there enough people studying the squid and octopus and cuttle, cuttlefish? There's not enough government money to fund people studying okay. cephalopods. There should be more because they're so dope. And we can learn so much from them. Like, understanding how they're doing this stuff is really important for like engineering purposes mm -hmm. down the line. Um, what my work is doing is really more about understanding how your microbiome stays healthy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's a lot to learn from these animals. It's super cool. Um, also, octopuses. Octopuses. Octopus. Okay. I know you want it to be octopi. We all do. I know, we all octopi do. sounds nice. Okay. Octopuses. You have to say pusses, man. I know. I it's don't a, it's say a stone cold pusses. bummer, but it's 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 the fact of life. So you just gotta just get up in the mirror, look at yourself, and just say octopuses, and keep a straight <laughs> face. And then when you can do it, you've made it. And then then you can apply to be a cephalopod biologist <laughs> okay. if you can say octopuses. I got a way to go. Okay. So what about your job sucks the most? What do you hate? Is it um, cleaning I, tanks? Is it probably farms? so? Probably like dead shrimp is the worst part of my job <laughs> because they turn like um, pink and get goopy and like that's and they smell pretty bad. So that's the one of the worst parts of my job, um, and that's normally what I what I say. But also like the worst part maybe of being a squid biologist specifically is people and you can cut this if you want but um people will like no joke send me tentacle porn on what? the internet and i'm like but like people will no joke be like oh you're into tentacle porn like in college i'd be like i'm really not like that really upsets me because these squid are these nice lovely little animals like why but also don't send it to someone unless they request it yeah uh, especially someone that really cares about the welfare of cephalopods like god so that happens to me more than i that's probably the worst part like i can i can like pick up 30 dead shrimp and be like i had a really good day today but like any day that somebody sends me squid porn is a bad day at least a bad afternoon i'm like report like no please don't what is the best thing about your job? The best thing about my job right now is watching a baby baby squid. So so when they first hatch, they're like the size of the head of a pin. And they'll take down these shrimp called mycids. They're about like four times as big as them. And it's that's very cute. But when they transition from little shrimp to big shrimp, it's hilarious because these little squid that are maybe like a quarter of a marble in size will tackle these big shrimp. And it's like 
hilarious because they've got this huge shrimp in their mouth and they're like trying to swim and like control where this big shrimp goes. And that means that I can now pay a little less money to feed them, which is great. And it means that they're going to make it because that's the hardest part of raising a squid, getting it to transition to bigger shrimp. And if they make that transition, it's like, I've done it. Like, that's like sending your kid to college. Like, you did it. You didn't screw it up. Everything is good. And it's all, it's just like so stupid cute. I can't handle it. It reminds me of when like a tiny poodle is carrying a huge stick. Right. No, it's exactly like that. It's just like that. But with more arms. Yeah. And they'll like stretch all their stupid little arms around the shrimp body and it cracks me up. I forgot to ask you entirely. And then how can people get involved with Skype a Scientist? Basically, it's a program where we match up scientists and either classrooms or groups of adults that like learning so that they can have these like 30 to 60 minute question and answer sessions with a scientist. So Skype a Scientist isn't just for school kids. They just expanded to just adults. So if you're a book club or a library group, you can sign up and you can gather and you can chat with one of over 1,500 scientists who have already signed up. You can go to skypeascientist.com and you can click for more info if you're a scientist or if you're someone who wants to talk to one, click the teacher button. So it's also not just for Skype. You can FaceTime or video hangout. But it was like, I mean, let's be honest, Google Plus Hangout a Scientist just does not have a ring to it. So they just call it Skype a Scientist. Every scientist loves answering questions about their work. They're spending their whole life working on it. So just mm-hmm. tweet at them. Probably they're going to be happy that somebody talks to them and cares about their science. That's such solid advice. I think so many people figure that like, if you were to tap the shoulder of a working scientist, they would rear back in a lab and say, how to hell you? Right. But it's nice to know that they're like, oh, no, sweet. I'm just like walking through the mall and I can totally answer that right now waiting for a smoothie. Right. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, the, the movies and TV give scientists such a bad rep. Like we're friendly and like talking to other people most of the time. <laughs> um, there's no reason to not talk to us. And a lot of times, like if you're studying some weird thing like uh, bobtail squid symbiosis or whatever, like you probably don't think people care some of the time. So like when people do care, it's like awesome. Like, yeah, let's talk about my favorite thing. Like, of course, I want to talk about this. So, yeah, don't be afraid of us. OK, thank you so, so much for you're being welcome. on. I'm so excited. I mean, it was only like several months of like mildly stalking you. That's like, fine. Hi, where are you going to be around? It's me again. <laughs> such a creep. It should be noted that during this interview, we also paused for a moment and we did our best impressions of squid and cuttlefish dances for each other. Hers was amazing. And if you ever see her out in Connecticut, she says you have to buy her a beer to see it performed, which is fair. Also, we got locked in this library basement for like five or 10 minutes after the interview, which was scary. But honestly, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was a good time. Now, to internet befriend Sarah McAnulty, you can follow her on Twitter or Instagram at Sarah Mac Attack, S-A-R-A-H-M-A-C-K, Attack. She also gives advice to anyone wanting to get involved with squid. She says, just start working with animals in general as soon as you can in any capacity. Don't be afraid to do disgusting work. Uh, you can also volunteer at one of the many aquaria in the nation and just ask people questions. Ask scientists questions. If you're ever living in Connecticut, you want to work with her. If you're a big squid nerd and you're like, this is my jam, reach out. Um, She also thanked her squid squad that helped with her research in the lab, Zach, Elise, Hope, Courtney, and Lydia. Um, Thank you from me to Stephen Ray Morris for editing this cephalopodcast and to Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis for handling all the Ologies merch at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Aaron Talbert and Hannah Lippo 
being admins and wonderful friends. Um, the Ologies Facebook group that they admin is great. It's full of curious, hilarious people. I love going in there and saying hi to everyone. Um, thank you to all the patrons for financially making this podcast possible. Thank you. You are really the engine behind this. That's it. Patreon.com slash ologies if you want to support. Even a quarter an episode helps. Um, thank you so much. Nick Thorburn of the band Islands did the music. And I guess I always give you guys a little secret at the very end of the podcast as a thank you for listening. Um, very much not a redhead. And on top of that, I dye my hair with stuff out of a box from the grocery store. And in the shower, it looks like Carrie. But it costs about $10. And it usually turns out the right color. So there you go. That's your secret. Okay, ask smart people dumb questions. Next week, I think it's going to be mythology. What do you think? It's going to be good. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Lithology. Meteorology. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.